H.H. Holmes was a real-life movie villain. The problem was that life had a hard time coming up with a good protagonist to oppose him. He had an evil lair, maniacal methods for inflicting evil, and he was just charming enough to get away with it for a really long time. It's one of America's first serial killers this week on Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week we are looking at H.H. Holmes. There have been several books written about Holmes and the murders he committed, and I'm actually surprised there hasn't been a really good documentary about it yet since, you know, fun documentaries about crazy people are all the rage. If you haven't heard this story yet, you're about to. So let's dive in. Herman Webster Mudgett was born in 1861 and later had the foresight to change his name to Henry Howard Holmes, more commonly known as H.H. Holmes. Holmes was an exceptionally smart kid, which automatically subjected him to torment and bullying from the other kids who just weren't as smart as him. On one occasion, a group of bullies forced him into a doctor's office and made him stand face-to-face with a skeleton. And that seems innocent enough, but back then, those model skeletons were actual human skeletons that had been donated to the medical field. Even worse, the boys made the skeleton, like, caress Holmes' face, you know, probably gave him a little voice like, ooh, yes, here you go, Herman. Yeah, you like that, don't you? I don't know, that was weird. I'm sorry, that got weird. Um, (laughs) And... Although, like, Holmes was scared to death at this ordeal, he also became oddly fascinated with the structure of the human body, and he later became obsessed with dissecting animals, and, like, you know, at this point, you can kind of see where this is going to end up going. Holmes ended up getting married to Clara Lovering and enrolled at the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery. And while working in the lab, Holmes passed his free time by taking out life insurance policies on the cadavers that passed through. He would then steal the bodies, mutilate them, and claim their deaths as accidental in order to collect the money. Because it's, it was just preposterously easy to commit fraud in the 1800s. Unfortunately for Holmes, his marriage with Clara fell apart and he moved to New York. When people began questioning his involvement with a little boy who had disappeared, Holmes moved quickly moved to Philadelphia and started working at a drugstore. While he was at the drugstore, a boy died after taking medicine that Holmes had just kind of created from scratch, which seems kind of, you know, suspicious, but that's really what a lot of doctors did back then. You know, if you remember, you know, things like Dr. Pepper, Coca-Cola, all that, you know, they started out as medicines and just people loved them so much and realized that they didn't actually do anything, but they stayed around. Um, Though Holmes denied any like wrongdoing in the boy's death, he packed up and moved to Chicago and hoping to make a fresh start for himself. That is where he officially changed his name from Herman Webster Mudgett to Henry Howard Holmes. Um, in 1886, he took a job at Elizabeth Holton's drugstore, and when Holton's husband died, Holmes offered to buy the, um, buy the drugstore from Elizabeth. He gathered the money by mortgaging the store's fixtures in the stock, and he repaid the loan by selling magic water that he claimed would cure any ailment, because, I mean, Midwest people are pretty gullible like that. During this time, Holmes married a woman named Myrda Belknap in Minnesota, even though he was still technically married to Clara because their divorce was never finalized. Holmes continued to run the drugstore, and while he did that, he purchased the empty lot across the street and started building this massive three-story hotel that locals nicknamed the Castle. 
And Holmes, you know, tried really hard to get this thing completed and named it the World's Fair Hotel so he could open it just in time to celebrate the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. Now, the first floor of the castle contained Holmes's relocated drugstore and various other shops. The upper two floors held his personal office and a maze of rooms and hallways with doors and, and that opened to just brick walls like a cartoon, you know, stairways that led to nowhere. Um, and part of the reason for this is Holmes had just like this revolving door of contractors throughout the construction process. And, you know, every time he would just claim that they were all incompetent he would bring in a new one. And, you know, honestly, that's not probably not a complete lie because contractors are some of the worst people on the planet. And if you're a contractor, you know, you shouldn't be offended. You've heard that one before. Um, but in reality, like Holmes wanted to be the only one who knew how to completely navigate the building. And when the, when the castle was complete, Holmes began hiring female employees and required them to take out life insurance policies on themselves. Although Holmes paid the premiums for them, he also made himself the sole beneficiary. And this is kind of where things really start to go downhill. Over time, Holmes would take each woman upstairs into the castle and place them in a room. Some rooms were soundproof and fitted with open gas lines where the victims would choke to death on the noxious fumes. Others were taken to the secret hanging chamber, and that's pretty self-explanatory. Some were simply locked in a bank vault and left to suffocate. Some were taken to another secret room that was completely sealed by brick so that you could only enter through the ceiling, and Holmes would just let those people starve to death. Uh, to keep tabs on everything, Holmes developed uh, this really sophisticated alarm system, and he installed it on all of the doors in the castle to alert him anytime someone moved around the hotel. When he went to collect his victims' bodies, he would either dump them in lime pits where they would decompose before disposing of the remains, um, or if the lime pit was full, he would toss them down a secret metal chute that led to the basement, where he would then dissect and craft the bodies into the skeleton models that he sold to medical schools. And now we have come full circle. <laughs> Uh, following the panic of 1893 in which the Argentinian wheat crops failed and political unrest caused the global stock market to crash, Holmes left Chicago and moved down to Fort Worth, Texas, where he inherited several properties from Minnie Williams, who he had conned back in Chicago. Uh, he planned to construct a second version of the castle in Fort Worth, but the project fell through. So after that, he just kind of began bouncing around the United States and Canada before he was finally, uh, arrested and thrown in jail in St. Louis on charges of selling mortgage goods. While there, he met Marion Hedgepeth, who was a convicted train robber who was serving a 25-year sentence. Holmes immediately started coming up with a plan to get, get $10,000 from an insurance company by faking his own death. Uh, he promised Hedgepeth a $500 commission in return for a referral on a good lawyer who would follow along with Holmes's Ill- really illegal plan. Uh, unfortunately, the insurance company caught on and refused to pay. So Holmes devised another plan involving Benjamin Benjamin Petizel, uh, who was just this dopey henchman that Holmes had befriended back in Chicago and got him to, uh, and really Petizel had been the one who had helped Holmes destroy or mutilate a lot of the women that Holmes had been killing. So Petizel was in on this plan and he went to Philadelphia under the name of B.F. Perry, an inventor, and faked his own death as part of a laboratory explosion. Now, the original plan then called for Holmes to produce a similar-looking cadaver, claim Petizel's body, and collect the $10,000 from the insurance company. Instead, Holmes shoved chloroform in Petizel's face and set him on fire. And just to be extra dicky, Holmes then convinced Petizel's widow to give uh, Holmes custody of three of their five children. And even worse, Holmes told Petizel's widow that Petizel was actually still alive and hiding out in London. 
Um, Holmes took the Batizal children around the northern United States, and he also escorted the widow along a parallel route, using different aliases to continue scamming people and lying to the widow about where her three children were. When Holmes stopped in Detroit for a time, he kept the children in one rental house while the widow stayed in another location. And then Holmes's actual wife, just in case you forgot he had been married this whole time, uh, actually stayed somewhere else in Detroit. When Holmes crossed over into Canada, he murdered two of the Patizel children by stuffing them into a trunk and pumping in gasoline, like, well, not gasoline, but gas, air gas, uh, to asphyxiate them. He then buried their bodies in the basement of that Canadian home. Home. Uh, back in the St. Louis prison, Marion Hedgepeth uh, tipped off police on Holmes' whereabouts because Holmes had neglected to pay Hedgepeth the $500 he had promised for the insurance scam. Um, and at that point, you know, Hedgepeth was happy to snitch on Holmes for that. On, on, on uh, November 17th, 1894, Holmes was finally tracked down in Boston by the Pinkerton National Detective Agency in Philadelphia. Holmes was prepared to flee the country with his third wife, who he had met in Colorado, but police held Holmes in custody on an outstanding warrant for a horse theft charge back from his time in Texas. Police then began interviewing everyone Holmes had come in contact with, at least that was still alive, uh, and they soon uh, learned about the castle back in Chicago and the maze of torture rooms. And they went in and started searching where they found clothing and jewelry belonging to several women who could not be accounted for. Uh, There were dents and scratch marks from violent struggles all over the doors and the walls. Police then went down to the basement where they found Holmes's bloody dissection table, a pile of bloody clothes, and another pile of bones. And, you know, just they, I guess because they had to, they then dug up the lime pits and found several more remains. Firemen were called in to explore a tunnel that led from the basement out to the street. The tunnel ended at a thin wall, so the firemen tore it down to see what was on the other side. But when a plumber lit a match to provide some light, the entire room exploded. Um, I'm not sure if it was a big enough explosion to kill everyone down there. I I couldn't really find any sources on that. But, you know, just, uh, just more craziness, like, from this entire setup that Holmes had. Um... Let's see, where were we? Investigators, uh, they also found an oil tank that Holmes had hidden into the wall, and that was leaking fumes that were strong enough to kill a person in less than a minute. Um, Back in Boston, however, uh, Holmes quickly confessed to the insurance scams, and then he was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Patizel. He was found guilty of that and sentenced to death, and then he went on to confess to 30 more murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, along with six other failed murder attempts. As he waited for his hanging date, Holmes began noting his resemblance to Satan, like he, his mental state just began to deteriorate, um, and he, he came to believe that all of his actions had been, in, had been driven by the devil. And he started writing these confession letters, and um, here's one of the quotes from it. I was born with the devil in me. Couldn't help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than the poet could help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he's been with me since. And that was a really bad Chicago accent, which doesn't even make any sense because that's not even where Holmes was born. So I don't know why he would have had a Chicago accent. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Holmes was hanged uh, in the Philadelphia County Prison on May 7th, 1896. Five months before that, a, f- uh, a fire had destroyed Holmes's murder castle, uh, which, you know, means that, you know, we will never know the true full uh, extent of what Holmes had actually done. Um, Although he was confirmed as the killer in nine murders, it is estimated that as many as 200 people died inside the castle and other parts of the country as Holmes conned and swindled, you know, gullible people 
across the Midwest. Uh, so today the castle is gone, um, and in its place now is actually a branch of the United States Postal Service. And with that, that's the end of the story. That's it. The story of H.H. Holmes. Outside of being a murderer, he was also a convincing con man. There are so many crazy elements to this story, but let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, bullying is bad, especially if you traumatize a child by locking him in a room with a real skeleton. Chances are that will play a big role in their adult life. Uh, number two, I, am, I continue to be amazed at how easy it used to be to commit insurance fraud. A lot of future stories will like happen because it was so easy to just collect life insurance money on someone. Uh, and number three... I don't want to play into the running joke that women are dumb, but how do you get dragged around the Great Lakes region with a guy who is also dragging his second family nearby in two different houses? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I went too fast through that, but I mean that just in Detroit, he had his second wife in one place. He had Benjamin Petizel's widow in another place. And then he had three of Petizel's children in another place, all within blocks of each other. And he somehow was able to keep that a secret from everybody. Nuts. Next week on Our Weird World, we are diving into the paranormal with the story of Robert the Doll, uh, which I have actually come in contact with. Was I haunted by it? Find out next week. All right, that was dumb. Uh, Thanks for listening. Tell all your friends and keep it weird. 